Have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We'll be finishing Daniel chapter 6. If you have your pew Bibles, it'll be on page 880. And the initial title of the sermon was going to be A Faith That Roars. But we changed it to It Just Got Real. And in God's providence, it's kind of funny uh, that that happens because as I was looking up It Just Got Real... I was trying to trace down where that came from, and here's a little definition I came up with. What, is, what does it mean, it just got real? It is an interaction that escalates to the crescendo of danger or seriousness. I like that, the way that's phrased. An interaction, an exchange, an event that escalates to the crescendo of danger or seriousness. And so I entitled the sermon that, and then here we are forgetting the baptismal water during the baptism. And I appreciate John's honesty up here, saying that he feels inept. A, he's not inept. We're very thankful for him, very thankful for the worship team. And I promise you, nobody's going to remember that. When they leave this Sunday, what they're going to remember is that knucklehead chaplain who forgot the baptismal water. How does that happen? I don't know, but I'm up here and I'm, I'm going through everything. And then right as I'm about to dip my hand in the water, it just got real, right? <laughs> there was this crescendo of danger and seriousness that overcame me. I mean, I'm, I'm sweat. I never sweat. I mean, I'm drenched in sweat. I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Oh, Lord have mercy on us. Amen. It just got real. <laughs> Um, we're going to talk about trust. What does it mean to trust the Lord? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not easy. A lot of times it's unnatural. We've got some clips that kind of highlight trust. Is it hard for you to trust people? Would you trust this person? You're driving down the road and uh, somebody needs a ride. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to pick that guy up, right? I'm not going to try. Who, who hitchhikes with an axe? I don't know. I mean... Do you actually think somebody's going to stop and pick you up? What about this one? Trust. Um, I don't know about these two guys on the right and left. Would you do that? Hey, guys, I've got a great idea. I'm going to try to ride this car on two wheels in between y'all and not kill you. Now, what, I don't know what the water is about there. I guess, yeah, I don't know. Would you trust yourself to lay down when that car is about to come by? A life of trust It's not easy. Uh, what about engineers? Can we trust engineers? I love these. Trust me, I'm an engineer. Look at that. Can you imagine a, a wife talking to their husband and saying, Honey, we got a problem. I want you to fix this situation. We, we need a bigger bathroom. No, we don't, honey. I got this all taken care of. Let me just take a little bit out of this door and uh, we'll be perfect. Now, the catch is, of course, you can't sit on it. You'd have to cut out some knee spaces. But uh, do you trust your engineering people? I love this. This is something I would do, right? Especially this cold, dark winters in England. Honey, why don't you grill us up some steaks? I don't know. I don't want to go outside. It's cold. It's rainy. It's dark. I'll just do it from the bedroom window, right? Problem solved. Open the window. Cook you some chicken. Uh, trust me, I'm an engineer. Oh, oh, here's a good one. Uh, do you trust this? Let go, dude. I'll catch you. I don't know. I wouldn't trust that. Now, here's somebody that did trust him. Look at this one. Uh, sure, okay, here I come. All right. I don't know where that picture came from. I don't know if that's Photoshopped, but uh, I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. All right, let's turn that off. We'll, we'll go to, just go to the next one. We don't want to think about that one too much. Uh, but trust. 
It's hard to trust sometimes, isn't it? Here's an illustration. I want you to tell me what you would do in this scenario. This true story. Nevada desert, a long trail of desert. And as you come upon this trail, this is a a, a true story about something that happened. Uh, The following letter was found in a baking powder can wired to the end of a handle of an old pump that was offered... Uh, and it was the only hope of drinking water on this very long stretch of seldom used uh, trail across the Nevada, Nevada desert. This is what the note said. This pump is all right as of June 1932. So it kind of dates the letter a little bit, right? I put a new sucker washer into it and it ought to last for five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has to be primed. Under the white rock... I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and with the cork end up. There is enough water in it to soak through the wet leather. So take it, pour a fourth onto the leather, leather, then pour the rest medium fast onto the pump and pump like crazy. If you do this, you will get water. The well has never run, never run dry but you've got to have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle back up and put it where you found it for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. And then there's this P.S. Now don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump and you'll get all that you can hold. So you're walking upon, you're in the desert, you're on this long trail, you're thirsty, there's no water in sight. You come upon this bottle of water and this note. Then you've got a choice to make, right? Am I going to take the word of this note and pour out the water with the idea that if the pump doesn't work, all the water is gone? Or am I going to live a life of trust and obey the orders and trust that there's going to be plenty of water, not only to quench my thirst, but then to fill the bottle and then to quench whoever's thirst comes after me? So what would you do? I don't know. That's pretty hard, isn't it? I love this illustration because I put myself in that, and he's kind of, you know, the, the old saying, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush, right? I've got the water right here. But it's not just about me. It's about other people. And so what does it mean to live a life of trust? It's hard. And I think Daniel here faces in chapter 6 a very difficult situation and circumstance. The Lord calls him to undergo this hardship, this trial, this difficulty. And yet the Lord is looking at Daniel and He's saying, Daniel, what I'm calling you to might not make sense. It might seem hopeless, but I want you to trust Me. And so as we read through this, I want to ask you that question. As the Lord speaks to me and you through the Word today, here's the question. God asking you this question right now, do you trust Me? Let's look first at verses 1 through 3. We see a new administration under Darius. Verses 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became so distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And so the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
All right, you remember what happened last week? Babylon the Great has fallen. Gone is Nebuchadnezzar. Gone is Nabonidus. Gone is Belshazzar. Now we've got a new king and a new kingdom. The kingdom of Medo-Persia. The king of Darius or Cyrus, depending on the translation. And so Daniel was, was, was high in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, then he kind of fell during the reign of Belshazzar. Evidently now he's risen again. God has blessed him, touched his life, given him significance and influence over the kingdom of Medo-Persia and over the affairs in that kingdom. Daniel is a good and a faithful servant. It said he had an excellent spirit, and so God is now blessing him. I want to encourage you as you reflect on this, notice Daniel serves wherever he's placed. I want to encourage you, serve wherever you're placed. Sometimes he may set you in a high position, sometimes he may set you in a low position. I had, uh, had a, a fun lunch this week with one of our parishioners, Nick, and we were talking about in God's providence, sometimes he uses us in powerfully influential ways. And sometimes, and in some seasons, he doesn't. Some seasons we feel His presence with us and there's this connectedness, there's this, there's this emotional element of our walk with Him that is, is wonderful. But then some periods we may not sense His presence in quite the same way. We may not hear His voice speaking to us through the Spirit and through the Word in quite the same way. Now, just because there's not a lot of activity, does that mean that God is not active behind the scenes? Does that mean that we're not in the place that we should be in? Does that mean that we're doing something wrong? And I'm going to say, not necessarily. I think the Lord will send us quiet times and active times, calm times and stressful times. It is simply ours to serve where the Lord calls. To serve when the Lord calls. And to know that God is going to take care of His children. We give Him His trust. We, or we give Him our trust. We give Him our service and He gives us the knowledge that He will watch over, guard, guide, and protect us. And so here's my question to you this morning. Are you living a life of trust in the Lord today? Are you serving Him where you are? Are you proclaiming His praise? Are you doing your job presently to the very best of your ability. Not unto man, but unto God. We're going to see that Daniel is. That's highlighted here in verses 4 and 5. We're going to see Daniel's life of faith and the jealousy that ensues from that. Read with me verse 4. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. With regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for a complaint or fault because he was faithful. There was no error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Isn't that interesting? Jealousy. Jimmy's treehouse is better than mine. You ever feel that way? You ever feel jealous? You know, somebody gets that promotion that you wanted, somebody gets that assignment that you wanted, somebody gets the job that you wanted, somebody gets the spouse that you wanted, somebody gets the kids that you wanted. There's no end to it, right? Jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. 
And you see that here with, with all of these satraps. First Daniel's elevated to one of three. Now he's going to be elevated above the three. And that infuriates them. I'm reading a biography now on George Washington. And there's this interaction between George Washington and John Adams early on. And George Washington, you know what his education level was? The father of our country, he finished elementary school. That's it. He finished elementary school. The rest, of, the rest of all of his learning was just on-the-job training. He learned as he lived. John Adams was very erudite, very intellectual, and he always hated that George Washington found such love and such affection from the country and from the politicians. It drove him crazy because he didn't think that George Washington deserved that kind of praise and acclamation. Evidently, these satraps feel the same way about Daniel. And so they concoct this plan. We're going to sabotage his career. Anybody ever been there? Anybody? I've been in the military three and a half years. I've already felt like, like somebody's trying to sabotage your career, right? I'm, I'm just getting in here. What happened? Somebody's trying to sabotage these careers. Daniel's just trying to be faithful. They realize, well, we're not going to find anything against him. Nothing's going to stick career-related, job-wise, kingdom-wise, because he's a man of faithfulness. He's a man of excellence. And so we've got to concoct this plan to pit his faith against our king. So my question to you is, if your peers sought a ground of accusation against you, what would they find? Kind of a scary question, isn't it? What if suddenly you were shown all this great uh, prestige and given all this great influence and everybody then said oh i don't like how quickly they're being promoted i want to try to find some dirt on this individual what would they find here's another question do your co-workers who may try to find that dirt on you do they know about your faith do they know about your commitment to jesus christ isn't that interesting that as they think about how they're going to destroy daniel they're aware of his faithfulness to god They're the ones who say there's going to be no way that we can trip him up unless it is connected to his faith. Unless it is connected to his love of the Lord. They know about Daniel's faith. Do people know about your faith? Oh, but wait a minute, chaplain. Wait a minute. Time out. What about separation of church and state? I got briefed on this, right? I can't bring my faith into the workplace. Especially if I'm a commander, undue influence, right? Is that true? Doesn't seem to be true of Daniel. Daniel had a lot of influence, right? Very powerful figure. Are you supposed to check your faith at the door? Is that what separation of church and state really means? I'm going to argue no. No, separation of church and state means we don't set up a state religion. It doesn't mean that as someone engaged in military affairs, you cannot advocate for your faith. You cannot freely live your faith. Separation of church and state is to give you freedom to have and to experience your faith. It's not supposed to steal that freedom. Isn't that interesting? And here you've got this doctrine, separation of church and state. The whole point of the history of that is to give you freedom to worship whenever and however you would like. You don't have to worship Jesus. You don't have to worship the God of Israel. You can worship whoever. It's the freedom to give, uh, the freedom gives you to worship. And yet that is now being used to what? 
to take away your freedom to worship, to destroy your freedom to worship. Do you see how insidious Satan is as we're in this spiritual warfare, as in a cultural warfare? The things that are meant to give us freedom are suddenly being used by insidious people to try to steal that freedom. Interesting. A glorious law that was meant to protect freedom is now being used to attack it. And I just say, you know, don't, don't stand for it. Dare to be a Daniel, right? A lot of sermon. Dare to be a Daniel. Let people know about your faith, and then let's see what happens with that. We see the conspiracy unfold here in verses 6 through 9. Then these presidents and satraps, they came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O king, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, they are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction so that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you will be cast into the den of lions. Now establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then Darius signed the injunction. Now notice again, they're deceptive, they're cunning, they come up with this plan, they lie. They say, oh, all of us come with this idea. Surely Daniel didn't. And Daniel was one of the most three influential people in the kingdom, right? So they're lying, they're deceptive, and they came to attack his prayer life. Isn't that interesting? No prayer for 30 days. Now, I'm asking you the question, if you were there and the king tells you you can't pray for 30 days, what do you do? Do you protect your position of influence and say, oh, it's only 30 days? I'll do it for 30 days, then I can explain to the king what happened, then the ban will be lifted, life will go on as usual, life will be normal, and I can just move on. I can tell you that would probably be, probably be my temptation, right? But Daniel says, no, 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 no. I will not suffer or abide this for one day. We've got the uh, Romans chapter 12 tells us we've got the responsibility to obey our civil authorities, right? Two exceptions. If they command us to do something that God forbids, we have to disobey. If they forbid us to do something that God commands, we have to disobey. Here, Daniel is being forbidden to do something that God commands, and he disobeys. He engages in an act of civil disobedience. Notice what happens. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees, and prayed three times a day. I love that. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, then he goes. It doesn't slow him down even for a moment. He doesn't fear the king. He fears the king of kings. He doesn't fear Darius. He fears Christ Himself. He's in Babylon, but he's not a Babylonian. Now he's in Persia, media Persia, but he's not a Persian. What is his identity? He says, I am a Christian and I will be defined by my relationship with God. What of you? What of me? We see the trap sprung in verses 12 through 18. I won't read that just because we're drawing short on time. The trap is sprung. It's interesting. The king is distressed. Evidently, the king likes Daniel. He tries to get this waived, but it's the law of the Medes and the Persians. Not even the king can go against it. 
And so he, he ends up going that night. Do you remember the story? Many of you might have read it before. And he fasts and he prays and he pleads. You know, if anything can happen, please let Daniel survive this. Now he does go ahead and cast Daniel into the lion's den. But there seems to be this, this angst within the king. And then notice his deliverance in verse 19. Then at the break of day, the king, notice again, very beginning of the day, the king's out there going to check on Daniel. And then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. Again, notice his heart is engaged in this. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually. Again, notice the king sees his faith as well. Not only the God whom you serve, but the God whom you serve continually. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And then notice the response of the king. And so the king was exceedingly glad. And he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. And no kind of harm was found upon him because he had trusted in his God. And so I just want you to see that God is faithful. As you embrace your life of submission to him, he will protect you. Now that might not be in this miraculous way. I think it's recorded in scripture because it's amazing. It's one of these once in a lifetime kind of events, but God will give you grace to sustain the trial or to free you from the trial. And I love this because ultimately I want us to realize that God is going to win. Period. Now you see all these plans, you see all these schemes of these satraps trying to get Daniel tripped up and in trouble. But they don't fall upon Daniel, they fall upon their own head. We're going to read about that in a minute. They rebound double upon themselves. Look what it says in verse 24. And then the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought, and they were cast into the den of lions. And notice this, not only them, but their children and their wives. And before they even reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. You get this sense of you know, a, a significant, powerful pounce. But isn't that amazing? It's not just them, but it's also their families. And I just want to encourage you. I want you to realize there, there may be some here today, heaven forbid, who are wolves among sheep, attempting to come in and infiltrate the people of God and shipwreck their faith. There may be some here today who are false prophets attempting to thwart the plan and the purpose of God. And this is a somber warning to you. And that is, God will win. And you set your plans and your purpose and your life against the Lord, and it's going to lead to your destruction, and not only to you, but also to all of those around you. And so may we be reminded that God is, yes, a God of grace to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, but He is also one who will judge those who attempt to hoodwink, kidnap, and destroy His children. Verses 26 and 27, it ends, I think it's a fitting ending to our entire series here in Daniel chapter 6. Notice what he says, I make a decree 
that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall have no end. He delivers and He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Are you going to trust in God? I know it's hard, but are you going to take that leap of faith? We'll see a, a picture of someone leaping in faith. I want to conclude with this story. One night, a house caught on fire, and there was a young boy who was forced to flee up to the top of the house, and as he was standing on the roof, the rest of his family was down below, and his father and his mother, they were on the ground, and they saw that he was up there on top of the house and the fire was licking up out of the windows and smoke was billowing out of the house and in terror and in shock the father is and the mother they're crying out to their child and so the father says this he says son he's calling to him again and again he says son son jump jump i'm gonna catch you he knew that the boy had to jump or he would die if the boy did not jump the flames would claim him. But the boy, all he could see were the flames and the smoke and the blackness. Can you imagine his terror being up there on the roof and being asked to jump into the black abyss of nothingness through the flames, through the smoke? His father kept yelling, jump, jump. But the son was too afraid. It was almost as if he were paralyzed. And finally, he heard the dad heard the voice of the son and he said, Daddy, I'm afraid. He said, jump. And he said, Daddy, I can't see you. And the father replied, Son, I can see you. And that's all that matters. And the son jumped. Do we have that faith in the Lord? Can we hear the Lord calling to us, saying, jump, I'll catch you. May He give us the grace to do just that. Let's pray together. Our sovereign God, we do come before You now and plead for grace to live the life of faith. Help us to trust You, Lord. Help us to do it today. Some of us, maybe for the first time, but may we come to You and cling in faith, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.